And if you look at the, the title this morning, you see cleaning house and establishing your throne. How many of y'all clean the house? Remember you in church? Don't lie. Now, of you raising your hand, how many of you ever had to clean a mess that wasn't yours? Hold on, hold on, hold on. Put your hands down. Y'all, y'all didn't understand it. Y'all didn't understand it at all. Put your hands down. See, only 10 of y'all cleaned the house. 25 of y'all cleaned somebody else's mess. You don't get to raise your hand because it sounds cool the second time if you wasn't already raising your hand the first time. Now, I'll give you the opportunity to still raise your hand, all right? Whoever has cleaned a house or a mess, if your hand is not up now, you don't get to put your hand up in a second, okay? Now, how many of you who have cleaned a mess have cleaned a mess that wasn't yours? Y'all still put more hands up. If your hand is not raised on the first question, you can't raise your hand on the second question. Do you understand? I'm not going through it again. I think we've all cleaned messes that wasn't ours. When we get to this section of Solomon and, and what's going on in chapter 2, man, he's got to do a lot of house cleaning. And some of the house cleaning he does wasn't necessarily messes he caused. But he's the man that God put in place to resolve and take care of them. So as we jump into this thing, and I don't want to just ignore the first 12 verses. I, I just couldn't do it. I even thought about not asking for the reading since it was 46 of them. And y'all know me. I just can't pick out which verses to, to skip it off. So I'm, I'm going to briefly fly through 1 through 12. And if you want some more elaboration, you should go back and listen online for Father's Day. All right. So, so we're at David's uh, exhortation to Solomon, his last words. Um, and as we look over these verse 2, he says, Be strong, therefore, prove yourself a man. Now, when you read this, and you, you got different questions, and I did maybe a little more investigating on this section than really because of what Solomon has to do and how he has to do it that maybe I should have and, and maybe it's not even important. But here's what I want to share with you. Evidently, for David to tell his son this at this time, he must have saw some sort of either one of two things, weakness in Solomon. You know, it, no surprise yesterday, 90-pound defensive end lined up against a guy yet again another week who was bigger than me. Guy weighed 280-something-plus pounds. So in his weakness, I had to say, be strong, run away if he sits on you. Uh, you know, that kind of advice that comes your way, uh, move quick. Uh, you know, but, but he, so, so he either saw a weakness in Solomon or the other part of it, and probably a little bit of both is the honest answer, or he knew Solomon's going to be tested in really great ways, which I think is probably more elaborate. You know, so you look at Solomon and, and we don't know the exact reason that he's going to need all this, but David knew his son was going to need strength. And I wonder just because where I got off on a tangent, why Solomon has that way. I wonder if it's because of the youth of Solomon. You know, if you, you read a lot of commentaries, they'll tell you anywhere from 12 to 30. And that's a wide range on what age it was when Solomon becomes king. All right. So so I, I'm going to go on this end of it. And, and I want to answer a question somebody asked me last week, too, here before I get off of this part of it. I'm going to say Solomon was about 20. Now, this isn't like don't write it down as, oh, it's guaranteed. Pastor. No. I'm going to tell you, I think he's 20 because I look at the age of, of his son that took over, Rehoboam, and, and I did some subtraction, and I got about 20 years old. All right, that's just to give you an idea. Either way, whether he was 12, 20, or 30, he's really young to be inheriting an entire kingdom. Okay? Now, I, I, I think he's going to have a, a lot on him. I think he's going to have a lot on him. Somebody asked me last week, but I was, I was kind of picking on Solomon about how he starts off and everything's so great, but, but he crumbles at the end. He said, well, well, do you think Solomon was just that evil? I don't think Solomon was that evil. I think Solomon just fell into temptation. I, I honestly, in, in my opinion, again, don't write this down as like a, like a bold face thing. I honestly think Solomon gets saved at that. Well, saved. He, he gets back right with God at the end and, and things are great because I think he's the writer of Ecclesiastes. And if you read Ecclesiastes and you're reading this journal and he literally says, I tried everything and none of it worked. So you need the Lord. I done try, I done tried women, which we know he gets a thousand of them. I didn't try this. I didn't have power. I didn't have money. I didn't have everything you think you can try. And it didn't work for me. You know, so when he writes this journal, to me, I think he's back right. Does he have a rough ending? Yes. Does he have some mistakes? Yes. Which one of us doesn't? Um, you know, so I just wanted to clarify that. Somebody, I guess they assumed by, by me giving Solomon a bad ending and a good beginning that, that he was like this guy who's going to hell or something like that. That ain't what I was trying to say. So anyway, jump into this thing again. Um you, you see, you're going to need strength and you're going to need courage. Maybe, maybe this is the big note from it. Great responsibilities require great strength and great courage. Maybe you don't get great responsibilities because you don't have great strength and great courage. 
Or maybe your great responsibilities are failing because you're not exhibiting great strength and great courage on these things. Now, now we know this is something that would be normally said to people where the numbers weren't in their favor because it's the same phrase that they used uh, when they took on the Philistines in 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 9. And they're, they're, they're outnumbered. The odds are against them. But yet they told each other this same expression, you know, man up, be, be, be of good strength, be of good courage. And then verse 3 says, and keep the charge of the Lord your God. David knew he remembered the promise of God that Solomon, one, couldn't be strong and courageous without a good fellowship with God. And he also knew that obedient fellowship, if he kept that with God, he's going to prosper. He's got that promise. Verse four, that the Lord may fulfill his word in which he spoke concerning me. God had promised David as long as his sons, a conditional promise, as long as his sons walked in obedience, they would keep the throne of Israel. Things would go great. Now, what I, what I want you to remember about this is, is this phrase. And this, this is one my mom used to always use on me. It didn't matter what everybody else was doing. It didn't, it didn't matter. It didn't matter what the, what the uh, Assyrians were doing. It didn't matter what the Assyrians were doing. It didn't matter what the Egyptians were doing, what the Babylonians were doing. What, it didn't matter. As long as David and his people were being obedient to the Lord, he would take care of all the rest. Now, what I mean by that is this. I would always use the excuse when I got in trouble that so-and-so was doing it. I don't know if any of you have ever been there. I get caught doing something. Well, it was because Mike was doing it, too. Oh, you know, and my mom would then tell me, I don't care what Mike was doing. He's not mine. I care what you were doing. And I think God looks at us the same way. He goes, look here. Don't come out with all these excuses about what everybody around you is doing. I don't care what everybody else is doing. I made a promise that if you do what I told you to do, I'll take care of you. And that promise was there, right? Now, you can get mad and you can get envious. You're like, man, I wish God would give me that kind of promise. I think he does. So while you're sitting there thinking right now, man, if I had that promise, I would just do everything the Lord said and everything would be great. No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. Because here's what Matthew 6, 33 says for those of you thinking you didn't have this promise. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Oh, so I do have that same promise. And if what is it? If I would just seek the kingdom of God, his ways, his righteousness, his rules, his regulations and all that kind of stuff then all these things would be added to me. So for those of you thinking you missed out on a promise, no, you just missed out on the obedience to the promise. God promises if we put him first, he'll take care of the rest. Next section right here. Still getting through David's advice. Uh, David reminds me, because I want to give you some advice on the friends and the enemies. I mean, David's got, he's got 40 years of kingship. Remember that? 33 and 7, 40 years. Which I'll be honest, when I read that this week, <laughs> this sounds horrible. When I read that this week, I was like, man, if November doesn't go our way, I'm so glad they don't rule for 40 years. Now, I kept that real neutral so you can vote for whoever you want to and whoever your they is. That's fine. But aren't you glad the they that doesn't that doesn't win for you doesn't rule for 40 years? I mean, 40 years is a long time. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, could you imagine the same leader, the same person of authority for 40 years? Now, David does a great job at it. But, man, <laughs> they can hear you on the screen, man. <laughs> but, but could you imagine this? Everybody's like, oh, he said it. <laughs> David wants Solomon, check this out. He wants Solomon to begin his reign with justice. And that's something vital to remember. We're going to go back to each of these, but, but he reminds him of Joab. He says, man, Joab was a murderer. He killed Abner. He killed Amasa. He killed Absalom. Well, he didn't even remind him about Absalom, but, but anyway, so we know this guy's killed all his place. Then he says this, and we're going to go back and look at these. Verse seven he says, I want you to show kindness to the people who are kind to me. He's even remembering those that helped him. Get through some stuff, you know, and he tells me, I want you, I want you to reach out there. I want them to be able to sit at your table and eat with you. Like, this is, this is a good, good thing. People you eat with, normally you got some good relationship with, okay? So he's telling them, I want you to sit down, I want you to eat together. Verse eight, then he reminds him of, uh, of Shimmy. He says, I want you to bring his gray hair down to the grave with blood. Now, this sound like he'd been holding on to a grudge for a little while. I almost wonder a little bit of David. I know he's at the end and I know he's holy and, and a man after God's own heart. But I almost wonder at the end right here if David's finally letting a little bit of flesh get in on him. You know, he, he's finally, you know, I promised I couldn't kill him. <laughs> but you didn't make that promise. <laughs> you know, I was like, you didn't say you couldn't kill him. I said, I couldn't kill him. So I don't want you to let him go to the grave with, with peace. He reminds him of how much he rebelled against him back in 2 Samuel chapter 16. You know, remember this guy, he actually threw rocks at the king. Um, he was so unhappy about, he was a descendant of Saul, so I think he was a little unhappy about that. But, but, he, but he's going through all of this, and David doesn't want to break his vow, and he shouldn't. So he passes this advice on, and then we get to verse 10, where I love the way it pictures the end right here. It says, David rested with his fathers. 
a really nice way of saying he died. Really nice way of saying he lied down. But I love the phrase, he rested with his fathers. Because it's almost like even here in the Old Testament, before we even know about resurrection, isn't it kind of worded like David's going to get back up again? I mean, you notice that for him to say David rested with his fathers, he's saying, you know, right now he's resting. But he's going to get back up again. You know, there's going to come that, that time. And this will be a phrase that's all through First and Second Kings that describes the, the passing of one king on to the, on to the next. So this will be a phrase we see repeatedly for, at our rate, the next year of going through, going through kings. So, but here, here's what First Chronicles record. And I point this out for a lot of us that need to make sure we understand. First Chronicles, the end of David's life, kind of mimics Samuel and Kings together. And it says this, 29, 28. So he died in the good old age, full of days of riches and honor. I point that out because that's the last thing to say, full of riches and honor. It don't list his adultery. It don't list his murder. It don't say he's a bad dad. None of that stuff's listed. Why? Because at the end of David's life, he had made peace with God. And it doesn't matter how many bumps along the way you had, how many rough patches you had. What's most important is that at the end of your life, you make peace with God. And then a phrase like this can, can be said. So verse 12, and this is, this is something that gets repeated, uh, multiple times in this chapter. So you can say this is the main theme of chapter two. Verse 12, Solomon sat on the throne of his father David and his kingdom was firmly established. And there's some things you got to do to firmly establish your kingdom. One, the old king can't be there. So, so David is gone. This promise was made back in second Samuel chapter seven. That promise will ultimately be fulfilled. As far as the big promise in Jesus, you know, we know that we've talked about that in Samuel. So, so we're there. But this partial fulfillment now with Solomon coming in. Now, here's the good. Solomon began in, in, with, with the most splendid period Israel's history's ever had. It's a time of peace. It's a time of things going great. They're, they're, they're splendor. He's going to literally be probably one of the, the wealthiest and most prominent material and mentally time of Israel's reign. Now, the bad news is that the spiritual absence that takes place all throughout this or the spiritual mentality of going the other direction at some points through it. So so why it may look good on the outside, we need to be aware as we go through the same what's going through on the inside. So for the rest of this chapter, cleaning house and how we need to clean house. And I thought this was neat. I happen to be reading over Genesis since our ladies are are, are doing some, some studies in Genesis. And, and here's what God gave me. Now, you don't talk about God just lining stuff up at the right time. All right, so, so, so I want you to look at Genesis real fast. Genesis chapter two. We're going to get some lessons on, on purpose, I guess you could call it, and how it establishes the, each of the characters that, that we list today. So you got to decide which character you are, right? So, so we know Genesis one, God created man, God created man in his own image, right? So here's what we need to understand as we, we read through what, what God's going to get for purpose here in chapter two. Masculinity, masculinity is not a cultural defined term. Culture doesn't get to define what makes you a man. Okay? God does that because God made you. God decides what makes you a man. God has given you purpose. God has given you roles. The question is, are you going to fulfill them? So Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, it says, And Yahweh the Lord, God took man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Chapter 1, verse 28, that same idea where it says, take dominion. Adam was to be the administrator of the garden. Right? So man's number one purpose Number one purpose, or at least first purpose, I don't know if we want to order this in priority, but the first purpose given inside of every godly man, this only works to be godly, beats the heart of a leader. Godly men want to be leaders. So if you're thinking right now, I don't want to be a leader, you haven't found your godly purpose. And you need to be aware of that. Because godly men want to be leaders. They want to explore. They want others to respect that they can. You know, so, so that, that's, a, that's a godly given thing. We could go way deeper in all this. But our study today is on Kings, all right? So next verse, verses 16 through 17 in Genesis chapter 2. It says, And Yahweh the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So the man is now not only called to steward the land's resources, he's now called to steward information. Remember, Eve's not even formed yet, right? So God is really telling Adam, in essence, I'm going to tell you this, and I want you to teach this to those that come after you. Okay, so in the heart of every man, every godly man should beat the heart of mentorship. We should have a desire to mentor. Why? Because here's what's most important, guys. And if you're missing this, you need to make sure you understand why. Godly men just don't want to get there. Godly men want others to come there with them. 
Got that? Now, in case you're thinking, I'm saying, man, like it don't apply to you women, it applies to you women. For believers, believers don't just want to get themselves there. Believers want to get others there with them. Okay? So, so, so the heart of mentorship. So leader and mentor. Next verse, verse 17. At the end of verse 17. It says, and when you eat or when you eat it, you will surely die. So you got the warning. Now you get the consequences. If you eat it, you're going to die. Adam's clearly warned of the potential danger. So his role now is to be alert. His role is to be on guard. His role is to watch over. So you can say this inside of every godly man beats the heart of a guardian. Now, you guys saw this last week when the children decided to yell at the walls of Jericho. Anybody who was in person, when the children decided to yell at the walls of Jericho and half of our men got up to run outside because they thought they were going to have to fight somebody. That was the heart of a guardian. Right. It was ready. By the way, one of the kids asked me, how come y'all can hear us and we can't hear you? Pretty good question coming from a very little person. You know what I'm saying? So I kind of started thinking about ball games. I'm like, yeah, you know, at the beginning of the game, everybody's trying to be louder than the other um, on purpose. So, uh, you know, just just throwing that out there. So this is the impulse of being a guardian. It's the impulse that makes us want to defend our homes, our families and other stuff. All right. So that's purpose. And then the last little thing we get, verse 18, Genesis chapter 2. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. So therefore, Adam is now given Eve to satisfy his longing for companionship. The heart of every godly man has a heart of companion. We were created to be in community. Some of your kids hate this virtual school because they have that they have that instinct inside of them where they want to be with their friends. They want to be with people. OK, that's a good thing. Some of us have hated, you know, how, how church has changed and, and stuff has changed because we want to be together. We want to be. It's the heart of a companion. That's good. Plus, what fun is it conquering the world if she's not going to notice? You know, so, so that heart of companionship thing is there and it's good. And then this is what happens. We all know that unfortunately, chapter three brings in this of Genesis. And it says that after Eve ate the apple, God asked Adam the question. And here's what three eight says. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of Yahweh, the Lord, as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from Yahweh, the Lord God, among the trees of the garden. But Yahweh God called out to the man and said, where are you? Now, here's what you got to understand, guys. God is not asking, Adam, where are you in a geographical location? He's saying, where is the man I created and the purpose I created him for? He's saying this. You can can take those four things we just looked at. And he's saying, where was your influence as the leader when Eve was chatting it up with the serpent under the tree? Now, you think about this in different areas of your life. Where were you when your significant other was chatting it up with danger? Right? Whatever that danger is. Where's the guardian I created to protect and keep watch over her? Why didn't you get up and run when you heard her voice? Why didn't you get up and take off when you heard the noise? Why didn't you investigate what's going on? Where was the mentoring process? Like, where was that breakdown at? If I called you to mentor here, her, you must have didn't mentor her. So where, where was the breakdown? You're the spiritual leader. You're the one that's supposed to be teaching her. Evidently, you didn't teach her because here she is dabbling with forbidden fruit. Or maybe the last one, where was the faithful companion I created you to be for Eve when she needed it the most? Where was the companionship? Where, where was all this? Adam failed, the human race fell, and men have been frustrated ever since. Women can't decide where to eat because the last time they decided where to eat, they got us in this mess. You know what I'm saying? Thank you for that. (laughs) There's just good stuff going on, right? Your four callings as a man, as a believer, as a godly person, lead, guard, mentor, companion. This is how God created you. This is why God created you. Okay? Solomon. This is what he has to do in order to walk. But Solomon is not the only character we have in this chapter. So we're going to take each of these things. Along with looking at Solomon and check out where the ball got dropped. The first ball gets dropped with Adonijah. He's a poor leader. He was put in a leadership position. This is all the way to verse 13 now. So 13 through 25 for you note takers, right? For 13 through 25. He's a poor leader. Now let's just look at some of his poor leadership thing and then go back. Poor leaders have people guessing whether they're safe to be around or not. Yeah. Right? Look at the very first thing, verse 13 and 14. He comes to Bathsheba and what does she say? Are you here in peace? Like last time he didn't come in peace. So she's got a reasonable question, you know, in this. But think about that. Poor leaders. People don't know if they if it's even safe to be around them or not. That's poor leadership. Poor leaders confuse the standard of truth. 
with what the world says versus what God says. What did he say in verse 15? You know I'm supposed to be the king. Uh, no, no, you're not. God didn't say so. You know what I'm saying? Like the world says you should have. The world has that hereditary thing and that inheritance thing. But God says it's Solomon. So, so when he goes on to say poor leaders confuse the standard of truth with what the world says versus what God says. Poor leaders hide behind others and they lead others into wickedness. You notice this guy goes to Solomon's mama to ask a question. Y'all, y'all, my kids do this. I don't know if y'all's kids do this. But if they want to go somewhere and stay the night, they send the other kid over to ask me. You know what I'm saying? Or, or if they want to go to Gammy and Papa's or whatever, they, they ask Gammy and Papa, can you text dad and ask him? Why don't you just ask yourself? You know what I'm saying? It's almost like we go back to elementary school. Y'all remember back in the day where like you, you first started, you first saw somebody who got your eye, that companion thing, what was taking over, and you told your buddy, hey, will you go talk to her? <laughs> yeah, I'll go talk to her and get her number. You know, for me, not for you. You know, if you go send me up, right? That, 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 that's what's going on here. Poor leaders hide behind others and they lead others into wickedness. He leads Solomon's own mama into a bad situation. Now, Solomon handles everything great at this point, but he's really leading his mom into a bat. She shouldn't be doing this. She shouldn't be asking this, especially when you understand the motive behind this in a minute. I mean, this is a whole lot deeper than him just thinking, man, she was hot when she was taking care of dad. You know, it's going to get way deeper. Also, poor leaders force God's leaders to defend what God says will be done. Poor leaders force godly leaders to do what God says will be done. You wonder sometimes when you read scripture, when you look in the world today, and you wonder, man, why do godly people sometimes have to do such harsh stuff? Because poor leaders and evil forces us to take that reprimand. Okay? It's just a reaction kind of thing right here. All right? So so look at this. 13 to 18. We said, you know, do you come peacefully? Last time he didn't. So, so we understand verse 13. Verse 15. You know that the kingdom was mine. No, not really. Again, just make sure you understand. God, God didn't say so. Um, and all Israel set their expectations on me. Even if all of Israel did, God did not. God is not a popular demand. He is a dictator. Okay. And rightfully so. All right. But here, here's what, I, here's why I had to laugh. That's the first thing I wrote down. Then I laughed because I go back and look at this guy. He didn't have popular. His party was quiet. You remember God's party was the one that got loud. If you were here last week, you know what I'm talking about. God's party is the one that exploded and got loud. So God's party had more people. Louder party has more people, right? Or just louder, more obnoxious people. One of the two. Right. But also, also just watch this thing. In reality, all that's listed for being at his party is a handful, not the majority, a handful of influential political people. But scripture says this. If you go back to chapter one, verse 49, it says, and they quickly desert, deserted him as soon as David made his wish known. So it's like you got a smaller party already, you know? And you picture like a good camera view. They show it like it's crowded, but really there's only like a handful of people there. You've seen the manipulation of the media, right? So you got that going. And then the other guy wins. So the handful of people you had, they gone. You know, they back over here. We made a mistake. We're sorry. We're back over here. So now there's nothing, no camera trick you can even, you can even do. So he didn't have the majority. And what he did have deserts him as soon as it, it goes the other way. So he makes this request. Hey, can you give me dad's heating blanket? Y'all, y'all remember last week, I, I, you know, Abishag was heating blanket. That's what she was. He goes, man, I really like that heating blanket and, and it was working really well. You think I could, I could get that, right? Now, now here's, here's what we need to know and need to understand by this question and by Solomon's response here in a minute. Most likely in all likelihood, even though it's not recorded, Abishag was a concubine. Okay. So, so, so she's a Harlem. She's, she's in the king's dominion as far as through this, this, this bond and, and whatnot. So she's legally bonded to him. David's death broke that bond. So, so, so now she's not. Added, 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 did not do. A number one, A number one wants to take this concubine, right? This, this, this widow as his wife. Now, I think he likes her for a whole lot more than the fact that the first kings told us she was very beautiful. I think he's following his brother's example. If you remember back in first Samuel chapter 16, where he, he takes over the city and the concubines that daddy left behind. He makes a tent up on the roof and makes it known that, that he slept with him. So he establishes his throne there. And I think this guy's wanting to establish his own throne. We know this not only from what takes place in, in Samuel with his other brother, but also what's taking place in history with the Persians, the Arabs and all this new kings 
took over the previous kings, wives, concubines, Harlem's, whatever title you want to give them. Okay. So, so as we're moving on, here's what I, here's what I got before we transition to 19. Bathsheba hears all this. And remember this now, what is Bathsheba to, to Adonijah? Stepmom. She's stepmom. Y'all ever know any mamas? Now, don't get mad at me. I'm not saying sometimes, okay? I'm not saying all the time. I don't need you to tell me at the back door and text me this week and tell me I'm not like that, okay? But do y'all ever know that sometimes some mamas have a blind spot to their children? Oh, so y'all do know people like that. See, I thought y'all were going to disagree with me and tell me it wasn't like that. Y'all understand. Y'all understand, right? Sometimes it's like that. Sometimes a mama has a blind spot to even a stepmama. You know what I'm saying? Like sometimes I get a little little rougher with Paxson and a little harder on him than maybe he needs to be. So his mama will come to the rescue and say, that's my baby. You need to be easier on him. Da, 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 da. So when she leaves the room, then I slap him behind closed doors so the mama doesn't see it. Because I'm scared of mama too. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, so we got that going. All kidding aside, though, think about this. She, I honestly believe. Now, when I first read this, I thought maybe she was using sarcasm when she goes to Solomon, which we're at 19 through 21. I thought she was using some sarcasm when she says, I don't know. Is this a good idea? What you think you could give me? But, but look at her wording. She, she's talking now to her son Solomon. She goes, tell me you're going to do this before she even starts. It. So I don't, I don't think it's necessarily her being, you know, uh, 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 funny with her language. I think she literally didn't even think about it. I think she's thinking, you know, you're the king now. This guy's got this request and this wish. Now I could be wrong. Maybe she does. I don't know. I don't get to talk to her and ask her. Um, you know, so if you guys die before me, check it out and find out what she said. And let me know when I get there. Oh, uh, you, you know, but, but I wonder, I wonder this. And so she goes up to her son, blind to, to her stepson. So she's not thinking, Oh, he can never do anything evil. He's made this promise and this covenant. Everything's going to be good now, right? Now, now before we jump into to the rest of this conversation, look at verse 19. Kids, you need to listen to this. And I don't care how old you are. When I say kid, you need to listen to this. Look at 19. 19, he said, oh, it's a little too early, halfway through. 19 says this, so Bathsheba went to King Solomon to speak with him about Adonijah. The king stood up to greet her. You better stand when your mama walks in the room. Hey, you understand me? You better stand. So he stands up to greet her. He bowed at her feet. Any of you mamas want your kids to bow at your feet? We can make him do it because scripture says it's the right thing to do, right? Sat down on his throne and had a throne place for his king's mother. So she sat down at his right hand. Now we can go into a large study on right hand. Right hand is super important. Now if you in battle, they looked over, they peeked with their right eye over the, I mean, right hand is just, it's, it's the spot. You know what I'm saying? So, 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 so he, he's got this, this huge respect thing going for his mama and he's the king. You, you, you understand what I'm saying? Like, like some of us think like, like, oh, when I get out of the house, I'm going to do what I want to do. No, you can do what you want to do, but you're going to respect your mama while you're doing what you want to do. You know what I'm saying? And, and I get this, this is a good example. While you in the house, you do everything your mama tell you to do. You know, like, I'm serious. You don't get you don't get a, I don't want to do it kind of thing. If you in the house, some of you think, yeah, but I turned 18. Yeah, but I turned 21. Well, if you still living at the house. You're going to listen to the ruler of the house. I don't care if you're 35. Matter of fact, if you're 35 and still at the house, maybe you should come see me and I get you a job so you can get out the house. Okay, and then your mama will call me and tell me how grateful she is for, for that part of it, right? But once you get out the house and become a king, whether you're 12, 20, or 30, right? We'll give them all three numbers. You still got this respect thing going. But at the same time, you got respect, and but you understand you've got wisdom too because look at what happens. So she comes, he gives her the right hand seat, he's bowed, he stood for her and all this stuff. And she says, I got a small request for you. Don't turn me down. Now, that, that, that the repeated phrase cracks me up. Where do you think Adonijah learned that phrase from? He said the same thing if you didn't catch it with Crystal Red. He said, I got a request, please don't turn me down. She, oh, I'm not going to turn you down, I'll go talk to him. So she comes and says the same dumb phrase. You know, it's almost like, it's almost like when your kid asks you, please don't tell, please don't say no. But can I dot, dot, dot? Like they asked it for you. So, you know, as soon as they say that, most likely it's a no. Like if you prelude with that, it's probably something you should do. But grandma said I could. It's definitely a no then. Right. So you got that going. All right. Please don't turn me now. Go ahead and ask, mother. I won't turn you down. Now, see, he jumps the gun. Don't ever make a commitment that you're not going to turn somebody down until you hear what that person wants. Now, I'm not going to turn you down. Like, yeah, you are. 
Yeah, you are here in about 30 seconds, right? So she said, let Abishai, let A be given to your brother, A number two. Why are they all A's? Lord, we got to talk about these letters, right? Let, let this woman, let this heat and blanket be given to your brother as a wife. I can get around, right? King Solomon answered his mother and said, why are you requesting this for him? Since he's my elder brother, you might as well just ask for the whole kingship for him. Solomon, in his wisdom, understands what's happening. He says, Mama, he's already older and got that part going. Now you want him to have dad's old concubine, Harlem, Hart, whatever, whatever title you want to give her, right? If he does that, he's, he's kind of sealing the deal on a run at the throne right here. And he says, no, Mama, we, we can't do that. That's not allowed to take place here. All right. So, so with respect, still, he's handling all this stuff the right way. And then when mama gets out the room, he can now deal with brother the way brothers should deal with each other. Right. So he's real respectful to mama. Mama, I kneel, I bow, I stand. You get a seat on the right throne. You're making this request. I understand this request. I understand you got a blind spot to your stepson, but you're wrong. All with respect. Never disrespect. Mama leaves or he leaves. Somebody leaves the room and we get to 22 through 25. And as, as Solomon gets into this part, he says, I know. I know what your problem is and I know what you want to do. So verse 24, what's he say? You're going to be put to death today. Like we let you slide earlier and we gave you a little bit of grace earlier. Grace is gone. You dying today. You broke the terms of parole. Remember he had parole in chapter one, verse 52. He said, remember, remember the condition verse 152 from last week. If, if he proves himself a worthy man, not a hair on his head will fall to the earth. But if wickedness is found in him, he's going to die. Wickedness gets fined in him, so guess what happens? He's going to die. There's a condition. All right? So, so, so we look at this thing, and I even wonder, like, why in the world, after just getting this condition, you know, you're going to try something so so early? Maybe maybe it goes back to what we thought it Maybe he's thinking, you know, Solomon's so young. He's so inexperienced. He's been so timid his whole life. Maybe that was all stuff that, that everybody had saw, and they soon find out Solomon's wise, and, and he takes leadership. And he can run with it and he can handle business, right? So, so brother's gone. Execute. All right. So one piece of the house, one trash has been removed and cleaned up. Verse 26, 27. We got another piece of trash in the house. He looks at Abathar and he tells him this. Verse 26. You're deserving of death. What you've done, I should kill you. Like you should be over, right? You've defied the will of God. You, 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 you broke the will of David. Uh, this treason. You know, it not only goes against the king and the kingdom, it goes against God as well, because God is who picked me to be king. But look at what verse 26 also says. I will not put you to death at this time. Some translations say I'm not going to put you to death today. Mercy and wisdom. David handles greatly, but he's also got enough wisdom to make sure he understands. I'm not going to put you to death right now. And, you know, when it when Avatar heard that phrase, he goes, hold on. So what about the next day or the day after? Or a little bit later, right? He leaves that open. He leaves that open. Verse uh, 27. That he might fulfill the word of the Lord, which he spoke concerning the house of Eli at Shiloh. So this has been something that happened a hundred years ago. hundred years ago, first Samuel chapter two, 27 through 36, uh, repeated again in first Samuel chapter three, 11 through 14 and, and all these prophecies. Eli had two little brats and he let them little brats do anything they wanted to do. And it got him in trouble and it got a curse of prophecy against them. They said, look, at y'all Y'all going to be eliminated from the priesthood and, and this just ain't going to happen. Right. This is the fulfillment of it. This is the judge. So you wonder, like, how can a king decide who's going to be priest? He's following God. This isn't just a king doing what a king wants to do. He, he's fulfilling what God already wanted to do. So you go back to those purposes here. Right. We, we've got one that was a poor leader. Now we got one that's a poor mentor. Look at 26 through 27. And you remember this guy's story. Abathar was a poor Mentor. Why? He was at Nob when David came and, and, and ate. That's first Samuel 21. Then he then he fled. Uh first Samuel 22. Um he brought the, the ephod uh when they came in first Samuel chapter 23. He continued to serve as priest, got on David's administration. Um when Absalom sat for a while on David's throne, he was he was doing some, some recon work, second Samuel chapter 15. But then David lays dying at chapter one and chapter two, and this guy foolishly sided. With the son that he knew. Now, I want you to understand something. We didn't talk about this last week. If, if, if Nathan knew and if Bathsheba knew, it's safe to assume that they, now the city, the town, the country man didn't know, but it's safe to assume that those in David's cabinet, those closest to him, 
knew who he wanted to be king. That's why it's so great, so, so, so deep and so wrong that these guys that were close to David fled to the other side because they already knew who was supposed to be king. 99% sure. Okay. We'll leave a little bit of leeway there, right? So, so here's what you understand. Here, here's where, here's what this guy broke. Abathar is a, he's a poor mentor. He's a poor mentor. Bad mentors most often come from bad mentors. That's enlightening, isn't it? Makes sense. Bad mentors often come from bad mentors. Solomon knew that he had a bad mentor in his family from generations ago. The house of Eli has been corrupt, been messed up ever since 1 Samuel chapter 2, right? Bad mentors, here's the other lesson. Bad mentors must be stopped from destroying the future, though. Look at 227. Solomon knew he was a bad mentor, which meant this. He's going to keep infecting the priesthood. So what does he do? You're kicked out of the priesthood. Remember what he said? He said, I should kill you. But I'm not going to today or right now. I'm just going to kick you out of the priesthood. You know, that's the problem sometimes. We get these these big mega churches that have these hierarchies and stuff, and we just keep producing bad mentors. And it's not even always their fault. They just took what, what they were taught and what they learned, and they didn't take enough time to investigate, so maybe it is their fault. And they just went with it, and they continued the bad mentorship, producing more bad mentors, kept corrupting people. Rather than we just got somebody like Solomon who said, you know what? Bad mentors got to be stopped from destroying the future. We got to get rid of that thing. We got to cut that cancer out, even if it's going to be rough, even if surgery is going to be bad, so, so that we can get stuff going. So he loses everything. He goes to the field to work. This guy goes from being a Levite, and now he's demoted to being a farmer. Now, Levites didn't have land, so we know this, this, this big demotion, right? This is, this is, this is, this is Solomon cleaning house. You gotta get rubbed to the corruptness that's in you. You gotta get rid of whatever's around, right? Next draft, Joab. Now, here's Joab where he breaks down the, the purpose. He's the guardian, but he's the guardian who defended the wrong things. And he's been defending the wrong things his entire time, even when we like some of the stuff that he did. First Kings chapter 2, 28 through 35. Alright? Read, 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 and, read and check this out. And he took hold of the horns of the altar. I don't know if he read chapter one. In chapter one, didn't somebody try this? And it didn't work out, right? It really didn't work out here in chapter two because the guy who tried it is, is now dead, right? So, so he's trying the same thing somebody else has already done. But, but here's the problem. You got a guy who's committed two, I think three premeditated murders at a time of peace. He, he, he's now got all this, this sin against him and he's running to the altar. But here's the problem, guys. Understand this. Here's a huge lesson. He's not running to the altar out of wanting to be this, this, this on fire follower of God. He's running to the altar out of fear of his punishment. And that's it. He's running to, to, to religious sacraments rather than having a passion for God. I can't tell you how many people, unfortunately, are going to be led astray because they think a wafer, a little bit of juice, or, or a special cross hanging, or a special little phrase you say is going to solve everything. That ain't the way it works. God doesn't care about what's going on on, on the outside if what's going on on the inside doesn't match up. And that's this guy's biggest problem. He runs to this so-called sanctuary uh, uh, of these horns on the altar, and he's grabbing them, da 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 But it's an outward sign of nothing inward that ever changed. So therefore, God cares nothing about it. Spurgeon says this, the laying hold upon the literal horns of an altar which can be handled, availed not Joab. There are many, oh, how many still that are hoping to be saved because they lay hold as they think upon the horns of an altar by sacraments. Religious sacraments isn't where it's at. It's a heart condition. It's a change that goes on on the inside. And Solomon in his wisdom understands this. He understands this. What does he say? Verse 29, go strike him down. Now y'all notice Benaiah be, he be taking on some stuff right now in this chapter. He wasn't just a dude who hunted down lions and killed some Egyptians. He's taking care of business now in the house, right? He's a business guy. Now, now here's the problem. You think, well, hold on now. We, we said last week that when you run to the, to the horns of the altar, which literally could be the, the corners, how they were made on altar. That's a whole different kind of thing. Anyway, but, but anyway, we said as he goes there, that there was a well-known thing that, that was like a, a, a sanctuary kind of thing, like a, like a, like a safe mark, a safe haven, um, um, for you. Exodus 21 verse 14. But if a man acts with premeditation against his neighbor to kill him by treachery, you shall take him from my altar that he may die. Y'all think God ain't smart enough to make stipulations for everything that comes in, right? Sometimes I think y'all like, y'all don't know God got it all worked out already. Like, what, what is God going? God already got it. Like God got it before you thought he was wrong about something that he wasn't wrong about. You know what I'm saying? Like that's God. He, he's, he's that prepared, right? 
Here's the problem, though. And you, you can picture this. I, I, I kind of feel bad for him. I love him because he's already hunted down the line and killed these Egyptians, right? Like, so he's got man status. All right. But at this point, I feel bad for him. Could you, could you imagine coming into the church and, and, and somebody you knew you went to war with is sitting at the altar holding on to it? You know, they squeeze it on tight and, and you got to tell him, Joanne, you, you need to come outside with me real quick. Like, you know what's going to happen. He knows what's going to happen. Because what's he say? I'd rather die right here. It's almost like he's thinking, you know what? You're not going to kill me on the altar in the house of the Lord, are you? And Benaiah says, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. So he go back to Solomon. He may be running away while I'm over here talking to you. I don't know why you Solomon, but you are. You just got me in trouble with my mama not 30 minutes ago, but now you Solomon, right? So he run over. <laughs> he tell us, all, he goes, I don't know if you understand what's going on, but, but he's sitting at the altar and he not getting up. What Solomon say? Kill him now. <laughs> you got one more time to get up. I don't think he went in and said nothing. I think capitated right there and then gone. You know, oh, whoa. You didn't think he was going to get decapitated? Have you been reading Samuel at all with us? Have you been in the Old Testament? Like we did for a long time. You ought to expect that by now. Here's the problem, though. Here, I'm dead serious. I thought about this since you brought it up. It's your fault. We're going to go there. Right. I'm thinking like maybe David's warning to Solomon because he was young and inexperienced. Maybe he remembered back when he was young and inexperienced. You remember he had to chop a giant's head off and walk around with it. Yeah. yeah ooh, that's right. We all forget that part. Like he was toting the head. I'm going to show you straight up what I just done. He hold it up. You know, say everybody going to see me walking around. Maybe he remembered that and he goes, look, son, I, I made my, my name well known with the soldiers and my mighty men because I dealt with stuff quickly when I was young. Now, we know he dealt a little slower as he got older, right? Don't we all? But he dealt with stuff quick when he was young and he's telling Solomon, I want you to deal quick. So Solomon does. Solomon does. It would have been an injustice had Solomon not eliminated Joab at that moment, guys. And God can't allow that. In all honesty, David was probably responsible in delaying so long. But in David's defense, I think the circumstances of the government, what was going on, wouldn't really allow him to do it any sooner without causing division. So it's all hand, it's all getting handled the way God wanted to handle. Verse 33. But upon David and his descendants, upon the house and his throne, there will be peace forever from the Lord. What was, what was that thing we heard earlier? Only if your descendants follow the Lord. Right, write this down. Some of you really need this one. I'm dead serious. If you don't, I guarantee somebody you know needs it. So if you don't think it's for you, it's for you. But in case you don't think it's for you, you can pretend it's for somebody else. All right. Your destiny is not determined by your ancestors. It's determined by your current relationship with the Lord. I think there's a lot of people that's wanting to ride on the coattails of some religious family members. You know, oh, well, my grandma, my great, great, great grandma. Did you know her? No, I didn't get to meet her. How you know what she believed? Well, my great, great aunt said, so did you meet your great, great? No. But how you know what, what she believed? I don't. We, we're trying to ride on the coattails of, of other people. All right. Here's what happens. David reinforces this principle with Solomon earlier in the chapter. And he, he's reminding now, guys, you've got to stay on track. Thirty six through forty six. We're going to still finish on time. How about that? Might even be early. Solomon now settles the past with his last guy. Shimmy. So you got all, all this stuff that's taking place and. Ain't going on. You got an illustration of a bad leader, um, a bad mentor, you know, and then you get to, to, to Shimmy right here. Right. Shimmy's associated with we said he was associated with the, the house of King Saul. He, he showed himself against David. Second Samuel, chapter 16. He's throwing rocks at the guys leaving the town and all this. David instructed Solomon not to allow him to what die in peace. Chapter two, verse eight. So I, I don't want this guy. I couldn't deal with him, but I don't want you not to deal with him. You know what I'm saying? Like I had to keep my word. So Solomon being smart, man, Solomon is a smart guy. You know, when, when we say he's wise and he's going to get the gift of wisdom here real soon. But but he, he's already like a very smart person. Like he deals with issues wisely. Maybe that's a good lesson for us. He does what? I'm going to place you on house arrest. You're thinking, man, that sounds bad. No, even Shimmy says this is great. What does he say? Verse 38. This is good. This is good. Like I know I should die. I know I should no longer even be allowed to be in here. But th th this is a good deal. Like, I, I understand, like, I'm agreeing and I'm grateful for it. Y'all ever been, like, grateful and agreed 
after getting some kind of punishment? You ever been there? Like if, if your daddy was really going to wear you behind out, but he only gave you a little pop. Or if you was going to get on restriction for like a month, but you only got a week. Or if you had a speeding ticket for four points and you went to court and they dropped it to two points. Not that I've ever been there. Mine were all six points. And, and, but, um, you know, just kidding. I ain't got no six pointers. Uh, you know, but, but, but you got, you're real grateful, right? And you're appreciative when, when somebody changes the, the punishment. And then David has to say this to him. Man, if you were so grateful and, and, and so wonderful, and this is only three years, three years. Why, why couldn't you keep the oath and the commandment that we made? Like you're thinking, well, man, I'll be honest with you. Like, like maybe it was just a, a, a neglect or forgetfulness kind of thing. You're neglecting your forgetfulness and get you in a lot of trouble. What you could really say, and I wanted to go into it, uh, but we don't have the time, is, is that God has set up borders to keep and protect you out of trouble. Maybe you to shimmy, right? And God set these borders up and you're not supposed to be crossing them, but because you crossed them, now God got to smack you. And you wonder, I don't understand why God is mad because you crossed the borders. Like you went outside the lines and the things that he had, he had set these things up to protect you, to guard you. And, and you went against them. So, so what is Shimmy really a good example of when we look at the character? Go back to, to our Genesis thing with, with, with purpose for man. He's a poor command, companion. Th- think about this. Now he's a poor companion. A poor companion can't keep the word, right? Anybody want to hang out with somebody they know going to lie to him? No, hey, oh, y'all don't all want to raise your hands now? What if I ask a second question? Then you go raise your hands, right? Nobody wants to hang out with somebody that knows not going to keep their word. All right, so, so there's that one. Here's this. Poor companions have people that are always trying to get away from them. Now, this seems obvious in chapter 2, verse 39. His slaves are trying to get away, right? That seems pretty, yeah, his slaves are now running away, da 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 and he gets punished for going, for going outside to get them. But you ever noticed people who got people that's trying to get away from them? And they like warn you not to go near them. Y'all don't want to admit it. Y'all like, yeah, I remember that one time and I kept hanging out with that person. Mm-hmm. That's why you don't want to admit it. I bet these slaves, if they fled, they probably told everybody, make sure you get stuck at Shimmy's house. Right? Shimmy is a jerk. You're not going to like him, but he's going to get killed when he comes to get us because we just plotted against him. Right? <laughs> yeah, I don't know what they were thinking. But a poor companion has people that are always trying to get away from him. Verse 46, main theme repeated, repeated just one more time. Thus, the kingdom was established in the hand of Solomon. The main theme of this thing, right? Now, what I love about Solomon is this. When you think about we looked at we looked at David and we looked at Saul, you know, so many, so many, so many years ago, it seems like eh? his reign is not like David and Saul in the beginning. He handles his stuff quick. You know, what I'm saying like David and and Saul, like they, they tried so many things of leniency and, and they spaced things out for so long. Solomon. Man, he eliminates potential enemies ruthlessly and swiftly. I wish God's people would do the same sometime. Oh, that we would be quick in slaying the, the, the sins and, and the problems and the enemies that are against us. But instead, we're so worried about trying to have leniency. And, and we're so worried about trying to, to blend. And, and we're so worried about making things go this way. And I'll tell you what that causes. And here, here, here's what I told you at the beginning that I think Saul was, or Samuel, Solomon. None of the other two names I mentioned, just Solomon. Here's what I think Solomon was really getting at, why he was so worried. He, he's, he's a good, he's going to be a good king as far as in, in this establishment. And he's worried about division. Y- y'all remember when churches used to have, I know we still have one, but you remember like when churches used to have like old business meetings? Y'all ever seen people fight over the color of carpet? I, I'm being dead. I'm not even joking. Like you think I'm joking. I'm not. I'm not even joking. You ever seen people fight over that? Yeah, now, and I understand that there are some things, and I think Solomon gets this from, from, from his divine inspiration, from his daddy and God. There's some things worth dividing over. Okay? But not a lot of things. Not, not even like, 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 here, here's where we, we get on even religious things. It don't even have to be the color of carpet, right? Because some of y'all got bad experiences with that. I don't want, I don't want to have flashback and, and like get under your seat and start shaking and, and shivering and all, okay? We don't do that here, so you ain't got to worry about that, right? But, but what about even religious stuff? Like you ever seen two people who are supposed to be real good believers debate over the rapture? Like, 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 is it pre? Is it like in the middle? Or, or is it going to be after? Like, like, like pre-tribulation, like God going to come get me before. He's going to come get me right in the middle. Or he's going to come get me at the end. And they will argue this thing so much where like different religions will be started over. I, I'm, I'm a pan, I'm a pan tribulation kind of guy. 
I, I am. God's going to pan it all out. Let it sink in. You'll understand what I just said, right? That's what I said. But, but here's the funny thing. Like, we'll, we'll go through all that. And, and if you are a pre-guy, if you're a pre-guy and, and he doesn't come, guess what? You can change your mind. Like right there in the middle, you can be like, oh, I'm going to change it now to the, to one of the other ones. But if, if you, if you a post guy, I mean, you're not going to get to change your mind, but we'll still worship with you in heaven. Like it's all right, right? God's kingdom. Think about things we argue over. I'm being serious. Some of y'all are like, I don't even know what tribulation and rabbit. Like, what is he talking about? You should study the God's word more. Let's go baptism. You should, but let's go baptism. We all know that, right? Some religions be sprinkling and some be dunking. And I think we should divide the church over. Now, yes, I believe in submersion. I look at the words and I understand it means submersion, right? But but here's where people get people get crazy on this now. They be telling you like somebody in the hospital bed had to be completely dunked. I'm not dunking nobody in a hospital bed with electronic stuff hooked up to them. You know what I'm saying? Like, I will sprinkle them, squirt them with a water hose or like one of them water guns or something. That'd be kind of cool, right? Right? I I remember, this is no lie, I remember a girl who got saved, oh man, this is probably 15, 20 years ago, and maybe maybe more than that, I'm getting old. But but anyway, she she had a broke leg. So they wrapped her leg up, couldn't get it airtight, and they literally, this is awesome, they literally held her upside down, (laughs) dunked her in, and brought her back out. And some of you people would argue that that little piece of her leg that didn't get wet was going to hell. That's how serious y'all get on some of this stuff. Okay? Guys, why? Now, I'm good for a good biblical debate. All right? But some of y'all, y'all just can't biblical debate. Y'all just want to argue. I don't need to argue over scripture. Let's debate so like we learn from it. You know, let's grow in it. Okay? And, And again, please hear me. There are some things where division has to happen, unfortunately. Okay? But I think a lot of the things we sit there and want to divide over, they don't even matter. You know what I'm saying? Like, we're not talking about whether you're saved or unsaved or, or kingdom-like or, or unkingdom-like. We, we argue over stuff that really don't. Like, it is gray area. It don't matter. But we want to argue over it like it's the end of the world. Right? I wish you would argue over some stuff that mattered the way you argue over stuff that don't matter. But Solomon's smart. Solomon says, that ain't going to happen at the beginning of this kingdom. I'm going to get stuff. That division, I'm going to get that dealt with right now. If you got division right now, maybe you need to deal with something. Maybe you're one of the characters we just looked at, not Solomon. Maybe you've been a poor leader, a poor mentor, a poor guardian, or a poor companion. And maybe it's time to fix it today. I, I say, why wait? You know what I'm saying? Like, why would you not want to address those issues as soon as you can? Some of them didn't get addressed as soon as they could, and some of them didn't keep their word, or some of them only kept their word for a limited amount of time, and it cost them greatly. It don't have to cost you greatly. Let's pray. Father God, we love you so much. God, we thank you for, for this section, Lord God, and while the church don't even know it, Lord, some of them may. I'm thankful that we get to chapter 2 because then we get to chapter 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. It's all coming, Lord. But God, I know we got to get through the beginning, God. And I know you got a purpose for that foundation to get started in this, in this beginning of the book, God. And I pray right now, Lord, you just open our hearts, our minds, Lord God, to see what it is in our life that you're trying to draw out from this chapter for us. God, encourage us, strengthen us. As David told his son, make us strong and courageous, Lord God, in what it is you want to reveal to us. Lord God, make your purpose known, make your way known, and God, make us strong and courageous enough to follow it. In your great name we pray. Amen.